new concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm excited to be here with you today on yet another awesome and incredible episode of the Success 101 Podcast. Now, you might notice that my audio is not your typical crystal clear Success 101 podcast audio, and that is because I am high in the Rocky Mountains this week. No, not that kind of high. This was a great week for my family and I to have a chance to get away here in the Rocky Mountains, and if you're checking out any of my Snapchat or Instagram stories, you've likely been able to see how beautiful and amazing it is up here. However, As it sometimes happens, guys, when you travel, audio equipment doesn't quite hold up the same way when you're mobile as it does at your own studio. So to keep you guys from hearing any more of this less than quality audio, it is without any further delay that I bring you my awesome episode with my good friend, Sean Stevenson, here on the Success 101 podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. So excited to have Sean Stevenson on the podcast today. Sean, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me on. Man, I'm excited about all podcast episodes, but I have waited a very long time for us to have this conversation because I think the areas that you work in around health and what you're passionate about, especially when it comes to sleep, which is really your expertise there. I loved your book, Sleep Smarter, for so many people out there who are in driven, active personalities and roles. That is a must-have, and I promote that book like crazy. But today I want to talk about stress, because so many of my listeners who are writing in and tuning in, both probably to your show and mine, are just dealing with, as we get older, dealing with higher levels of stress and this prideful idea, as I mentioned, of type A or driven personalities who can just muscle it through when they're younger. We learn that doesn't work whenever we get older. And so I'd love to deep dive into health, sleep, stress, all of that, but talk about stress mainly, why that prideful mindset about stress and thinking we can muscle it through, what it's actually doing to us from a cellular level, but also destroying our brains. And I know you're going to have a lot of background on that as well through your work. For sure. You know, the first thing to do is to pull apart what does stress actually look like, you know, because some people listening are like, you know, I'm not that stressed. I've got, you know, a little bit of work stress, but the rest of my life is pretty smooth. But what I point people to is this concept called an overall stress load. And if you want to kind of look at this in a visual sense, picture a human head and the top is lifted open and then in comes all these different sources of stress. So that's going to be obviously work stress that's going to come in there. That's what most people think about when they think about stress. And that's only a small fraction of it. Then in comes relationship stress. You know, so whether this is uh, managing things with a significant other, children, extended family relationships, work relationships, you know, whether you have employees, a boss, partners, customers, all of that is going in there as well. Then we've got, crazy as it sounds, exercise stress. So lack of exercise can actually be a big stressor. 
or too much exercise, which most people are not in that category, but there are some <laughs> patients I've worked with over the years where I had to kind of reel them back in, but that goes in there Probably as well. the very few. Probably the yes, very few out there. Definitely, definitely. So then we've got just the, what would be known more so as like a spiritual stress. So what that can look like for people, and I'm a scientist, so when I say that, it's coming with an overarching kind of summary of what that looks like, and that's going to be a lack of sense of purpose, feeling kind of cut adrift, not connected to something. And many people kind of go through different phases in their life where they do feel those feelings, but you throw that in on top of that. And also an environmental stress. And this is one of the big ones that people overlook, because even if you feel like your life is on easy street, you don't live in the same world that your ancestors lived in. And the right. air that we breathe is different. The food that we're taking in, even if you're eating organic food, if you're getting it from a store, it's taken days to get to you and it's lost a lot of its nutritional value. So plus the water sources that we're commonly consuming, all of those things add to this kind of environmental stress load that's kind of humming in the background for a lot of human beings today. And then another component, and I can keep on going, but emotional stress, mental stress, mental anguish. And then one final one is that, and this is a big one, is the nutrition stress, you know, which kind of goes into the environmental stress, but that deserves its own category. So the food that we're eating instantly, and this is something that has really been my field of study for the last 10 plus years is nutrigenomics and looking at how every single molecule of food that you eat impacts your genetic expression for the better or the not so better, right? So every single bite of food that we eat is going to add to this nutrient stress load. So all of those things come together to create how you're experiencing stress in the world. And it depends on where you lie in that spectrum. So that's the first thing for people to really understand. All of these things, and I'm a big proponent of we can have it all, but all of these things need to be addressed and they need to create a cohesive system. That's number one. Number two, if we look at the realm of what you've been talking about, this kind of driven personality, and we need that for sure. We're talking about we're the people who actually help to change society, to move things right. forward. We need that. However, there are certain laws of life and laws of the body and a certain balance of being able to progress and to push and to push and to push and also to withdraw. You know, there needs to be a kind of a sequence, just like if you look at a heart monitor, you know, things are going up and down, up and down. If we just go up all the time, you're going to die. If we just go down all the time, you're going to die faster. We're all going to die eventually. But so that's really important to understand is that we need to have strategic pushes and strategic withdrawals. We have to recharge our batteries. You are very much like a plant that can get up and walk around, basically. And so the plant is constantly energized by the environment and the, um, the soil, right? right? We get energized by taking things from the soil and putting them in our body or taking things from the soil and putting them in our body. So we are what we eat and we also, we are what we eat ate. So that's how we're kind of energizing our body. Plus the, the air that we're breathing, the water, all of those things. We're basically a rechargeable battery. You know, your body is made of minerals and water, basically, you know, your tissues hold minerals and water. So you're basically like a battery and you need to recharge that battery on a daily basis. The number one thing, and we'll come back and talk about this for our recharge is sleep by far. Right. Everything else is like smaller drops in the bucket. So to summarize this point, we need that for sure, but we can quickly hit that wall and everybody will hit that wall at some point if you're not 
abiding by the laws of the body, your life will kind of, things will be set up in a way where you'll start to self-sabotage and you'll break yourself down. And you've experienced this as well. And I know that I have. We're just going, going, going. And we're pushing to these ideas from folks like Gary Vaynerchuk, who I've had conversations with, um, <laughs> you know, and the idea of crush it. And you see him and he's doing all of this stuff. But I'll tell you one thing. What he told me was he knew that he needed to play the long game. He was doing that with business, so he thought, but he needed to do that with his body. And so he's brought on a full-time trainer who travels with him everywhere he goes, monitors his food, because he knows he wouldn't do that stuff on his own. He's too focused on crushing it. I don't remember when it was, but he started posting all of his workouts and things like that. And I was like, man, I've never seen this guy post about working out ever in my exactly. life. And now he's posting it all the time. Exactly. You know, And so you see it from people like that, but also... You know, there's these hashtags, no sleep, I'll sleep when I'm dead, sleep is for suckers and all these kind of things. But the reality is those people are sleeping too. And also, you know, I don't get tired. I promise you, you're going to get sleepy and you're going to go to sleep. But what we want to do is maximize that experience so that we can really get recharged. It doesn't mean necessarily to sleep more in some instances, it's just sleeping better. We can absolutely accomplish all of our goals and then some, but we want to be here to be able to enjoy it and not burn ourselves out. And all that takes is just a couple of strategic changes for us to really kind of tap into our potential. Yeah. And I think for so many people out there, as I mentioned earlier, sleep is one of these things. I know it was for me that was, you know, I hate to say it. It sounds silly even whenever I say it, but just a waste of time. Like I knew I needed to sleep, but it was just such an afterthought. And I think for most people, they're not going to change the course that they're on. They're not going to have this quantum leap change or this directional change until they are provoked to do so. We're kind of like that as humans, right? We just kind of stay in this rut, good or bad habit, right? We kind of stay in this rut until something blows us off course. Sleep, I have learned, and really why you've impacted me so much through the book, is just such an incredibly underutilized resource. I think especially for guys, females too, right? But I think especially for hard-headed guys out there that just view sleep as, hey, that's going to get in the way of the productive hours I should be up and working. And it's changing our biology. It's changing our minds. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all those sort of things. One question I do have, though, for you, Sean, because I see all your stuff going out with your kids. You've got some awesome kids and you guys are doing a lot of fun stuff together. But, you know, people probably look at your life and go, oh, man, this guy, he's traveling around. He's working out. He's hanging out with his family. I mean, you have stresses in your life as well. Oh, yeah. How do guys like us? I've got three kids, but guys like us with kids that are super demand, you know, they demand our time, right? They want us to be there and you want to be all in. How much of this information in our busy world and what we've created as a society today, these stressful demands, can really be mastered? Or are we just using that as an excuse by saying, oh, I'm busy, I've got kids, I've got this, that, whatever, I can't eat right, I can't work out, I can't sleep, I can't. How much of it do we just need to suck it up and say, hey, all of this stuff can be built in. You just got to be diligent about making it happen. Yes, yes. And, you know, what I've been doing is helping to kind of bring out examples of what that looks like. Somebody I've had on my show before, Shalene Johnson, is a great example of this. You know, she's gone through phases of her life. And also, everything has a season as right, well. Right, right. You know, she's gone through phases where she was a workaholic. But now she really promotes that we can all kind of create the life and business that we want as we go along. Because we don't want to just have a healthy business. We also want to have a healthy body. We also want to have healthy relationships. Especially when we're talking about raising kids as well. And so, so many people, you know, and I've seen this across the board where, you know, they are doing great in their business, but their relationships suck or they're struggling with their body or maybe somebody's incredibly fit, but they're not very, doing very well financially for us to really put all this stuff together. And this is one of the big reasons. Well, that actually is the number one reason people give for not exercising is that they don't have the time. 
I just don't yep. have enough time. And this is because it's been pressed into our culture. All of this stuff that we're going to talk about today that we're already talking about is societal conditioning. It's the crazy impact that culture has on our thinking. Uh, funny enough, just actually, as we're recording this, I just had an episode come out with this uh, world-renowned psychologist, Dr. Mario Martinez, where he was breaking down how culture literally dictates our lifespan, and but it's hiding in plain sight. And so one of the things that's impressed in the culture for us is that if we want to be healthy and if we're going to exercise, we need to do about 150 minutes minimum of exercise a week, right? Of wow. cardio, right? That's just for starters. That's recommended by like the American Heart Association and entities like that. But there's no science behind that. The research behind that is very shaky at best. So one of the things I really helped to kind of push out recently with Dr. Martin Gabala, he's the guy who's in the lab doing muscle biopsies and testing people, doing high intensity interval training and seeing the benefits that it has. And one of the studies that he did, and this is cited in his book as well, he basically took uh, exercisers, they had two different groups. One did the traditional cardio and one of them did high intensity interval training. And they had them to do this program for six weeks. And so with the traditional cardio, they basically had them hop on the bike and pedal at about 60% of their exertion potential, right? So just a kind of like moderate pace on, a, on the stationary bike. And they did this for 45 to 60 minutes, five times a week, right? So we're talking like 200 plus minutes of exercise a week. Second group at 60%. At 60%. So it's enough to, you know, break a nice little sweat, but they're not trying too hard. It's just a long time that they're on that bike. Second group, high intensity interval training. They're doing 30 second all out sprints on the bike, on the cycle. So they're going as fast as they can. And then they're taking about four and a half minute rest in between their circuits. And they would do four to six of those sprints, right? So total, they're, time spent on the bike now is one third the amount because they're also doing only three sessions a week instead of five. So the exercise time, total time is one third less already, but the total time spent actually full out hard exertion is 10 minutes of exercise a week versus 270. Wow. And they found that number one, their change in aerobic fitness was exactly the same. Number two, their fat loss, exactly the same. Number three, the increase in their, from the muscle biopsies, the increase in their mitochondria. So this is basically the energy power plants in all of your cells increased the same exact amount. And they did one third the amount of time exercising and really only 10 minutes of exercise total versus 270 minutes. And you can get that benefit by following things that actually work. We have to get out of this societal conditioning that says we have to do this amount of stuff to get the result. It is just not true. You know, it's not just doing something, it's doing something that works. And that's what we get caught up in, especially people who are, you know, pressing and type A personalities. Like we mistake a lot of times doing activity for being effective. And that's what we really want to circle back to is how can we structure things in our life to hit maximum effectiveness? Because I'll tell you today, already I had to construct like a world-class uh, email for my email list to get my podcast out, to send the new episode over to the interviewee and their publicist. I had to confirm two interviews. I had this today, this show, this awesome show right now that we're on. Plus I've got another one. And I had to take time to hang out with my wife and have a meeting. 
We made breakfast together. I got my kids out of the house. I did exercise. And we're only at, it's 10.56 here in the morning. Already. And that's not even to talk about all the other stuff that's coming up in the day. Plus, I got an incredible night's rest of sleep, and I will tonight as well. And I even watched Iron Fist yesterday. Right? So <laughs> there's always time to do all of this stuff. And I went to my kids, like he had a, a little public speaking thing, my youngest son. There's time to do all of this stuff. It just takes a little bit of structure and also looking at what are people doing that actually work when it comes to exercise, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our nutrition, and when it comes to our sleep. Yeah, man, that's so awesome. And uh, I know we're probably going to tackle it here in a few minutes, but if we take a step back on breathing is what I'm talking about. I want to dive into a little bit of breathing and how that works around not only working out and sleep and stress and all of those sort of things, but how you have found that to be beneficial as a health guy. I would love to know, and this may be tough to categorize because I'm sure there's many of them, but I'd love to know what are the non-negotiables for Sean Stevenson you try to live by, even in a crazy, hectic, busy day that you just go, hey, you know, I may not accomplish these seven days a week, but for the majority of the time, I'm going to make sure I'm striving within my schedule and how I design it to get these things done. Sure. A great example. You know, I just got back from this incredible speaking event in the Philippines uh, called Tropical Think Tank. And I can see what the non-negotiables are because these are things that I do, whether I'm literally on an international flight or in another country or I'm here at home. I'm doing these things consistently. Number one is the first thing I do when I wake up upon rising is I drink a liter of high quality structured water, no matter what. The best water I can get also when you're traveling. And this is such a huge thing for people. If we really get this, this is absolutely game changing. One of the most dehydrated times you can have experience is when you first wake up in the morning, but we don't realize it because our yeah, you hunger, don't feel it. Right. Our hunger and thirst signals are regulated by the same gland, the hypothalamus gland in your brain. So a lot of times people get up in the morning and they'll just have some coffee or they'll eat something when their body is really just thirsty. And this is because while you're sleeping, your body is doing millions upon millions of processes of detoxification, assimilation, and working to eliminate these things from your system. But a little known fact is that your body will essentially hold on to this Every process in your body that I just described is happening in a water medium. So that water is getting pretty murky and nasty. And to flush it out, basically uh, an internal oil change, you need to bring in a nice dose of fresh, clean water. And your body will preferentially choose that clean, new water and flush out all those metabolic wastes. When you do that first thing in the morning, not only are you getting that benefit, you're also providing hydration for your brain your tissues, your endocrine system, your nervous system, all of those things are operating in a water medium. And plus, get this, I just shared a study recently which blew my mind, and it's something called uh, water-induced thermogenesis. So basically, when you drink a certain amount of water, it's approximately 17 ounces of water at one time, just room temperature water, you're going to get around a 30% increase in your metabolism instantly. Your metabolism is going to kick up a notch simply from drinking water, right? And what that looks like is you're going to burn an extra, you know, 100 plus calories a day simply from drinking water because your body has to work to warm that water up internally. And I'm saying room temperature because there are some experts that say drinking water that's too cold can kind of gum it up a little bit and shock your system. There isn't really clear data on that. So I just like to err on the side of caution. Simple room temperature water and your body working to warm that up from, and that's approximately around, we'll say 70 degrees, 
up to 98.6 degrees of your body temperature, it's going to start burning more calories and turning up your metabolism. You get all that. Yeah, you, would think, you mentioned the, the cold water. I've heard that before, too, is that you don't want to take cold water. And I don't know where the research is around that. But you would think that if the body has to work that hard to warm up the room temperature water, 70 degrees and 98.6, it would have to work even harder to take a chilled 40 degree you know, bottle of water. I wonder why that is. I wonder why the body doesn't have to work harder and you burn even more calories. You have more benefit from a cold bottle of water or what the studies are on that out there. That's the thing. There aren't really studies on that as far as drinking water colder. And it's a lot more anecdotal information. And I believe me, I've looked and looked. And so, you know, I would encourage people maybe even drink the water a little bit colder, but just kind of logically thinking some of the impact that it could have internally. External water submersion is great for you. You know, you get these cold shock protein response. And I'm sure some of that benefit happens from drinking cold water as well. So I don't want to scare people off from drinking that. It's not that. Sure, it's just sure. there isn't solid data on what the problem is. But a lot of experts say there is a problem. And I'm one of the people like, I want to see the data. I want to see the science before I promote or demote whatever that thing is. Right. So that's the non-negotiable for me. Uh, one of them. Another one is, man, today I really needed this, you know, just with all the stuff that's going on, is having a practice of gratitude. You know, you probably, a lot of people hear this a lot regularly, but again, me being so analytical and a scientist, there has to be some efficacy to it for me to do it. And what it is, it's an instant cure for self-doubt. It's an instant cure for sadness. It's an instant cure for regret. It's an instant cure for confusion. You know, when you start to think about all the things that you're grateful for in your life, you know, maybe even just the top three things you're grateful for, you can't really simultaneously feel grateful and upset at the same time. Right, right. You know, and so like really tuning in and, and being grateful for my wife or grateful for my kids, grateful for the impact that the Model Health Show is having or that the book is having and all the different stories. And I, you know, my wife has this practice that she's been doing for a while now of sending me over at least just one thank you note a day because, you know, we get a lot of different emails so that I can just sit with that. And I, you mentioned this to me before the show, you know, these are the small things that ensure that I don't get jaded and that I stay grounded in my mission and why this all matters. Because the day to day of trying to build something exceptional, you can get caught up in that and miss the point of why you're doing it. Absolutely. And so that's uh, another non-negotiable for me. And uh, I'll just kind of, oh, Last thing, really, and, quick and not is, to cut you off there, but I would say about the whole gratitude thing. You know, you think back years ago. I mean, gratitude's been around forever, right? This is nothing new under the sun. But you didn't hear people in every form of media, TV, radio, podcasts, internet, whatever, talking about gratitude like you hear it today. It's, in my opinion, it's this underutilized resource for all the reasons you just mentioned. But I think whenever it started first surfacing, this has been my experience. When it first started surfacing, people thought oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, of course we should be grateful for things, right? Now it's thrown around so much. And I know people that don't even practice it every day, but they still talk about it when they get on podcasts and you know whatever else, because they know it's the thing they should say right. to where now it's just kind of the old hat thing, you know? And so I think you're absolutely right. Doing it for the right reasons, focusing on it. You can also have a, a time carved off for gratitude, write down a few things, and it really not even move the emotion or move the needle. I'm glad you're holding to that one because it just kind of shows that you know, it really does mean what it's supposed to mean. And, uh, and more and more people need to really tap into it the right way, I believe. Absolutely. You know, uh, from the science perspective, it changes your biochemistry immediately, you know, and our feeling, our thoughts 
and our emotions are very powerful. And just a stressful thought, if you hold a stressful thought of something that's maybe negative happening in your life right now, it immediately, you start to release different neurotransmitters and hormones just from that. Yeah. Right. And we can do the same thing in a positive aspect. We can literally shift it just like that. But for most of us, we're asleep to that fact that we can actually dictate how we feel because we're so external. We're so caught up in what's going on around us and forget and being at the mercy of what's happening around us instead of coming from the inside out, which many of the greats that we talk about today, that's where they lived. And it's a practice. It's a yeah. practice. It's not something the quote enlightened individuals. That's where they live. There are very few people who just do that automatically. It's a continuous practice. And so that's one side. And then the last non-negotiable would definitely be some kind of exercise movement. Definitely a big part of my life. No matter where I'm at, I'm going to do something, especially to start my day because of the benefits. And there was a study done at Appalachian State University that I like to share with people that found that morning exercisers, as compared to people exercising in the afternoon and evening, spend more time in the deepest, most anabolic stages of sleep. They get more efficient sleep cycles and exercise in the morning results in an average of about 25% greater drop in your blood pressure at night compared to working out at other times. And it's not saying to not work out at other times. It's just getting that morning exercise in really helps to set you up for better sleep at night because it does what I call a cortisol reset and helping to get your cortisol rhythm on track to start your day. So every single day, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I do, I'm going to get at least you know, five minutes of exercise in to start my day. And you talked about that in the book, Sleep Smarter as well. And this was back before I really started studying and understanding a lot of this, especially about the adrenals and cortisol and the regulation of that, how they help us or harm us and, you know, different things and what it's intended for. And I remember, and I hope I'm not butchering this because it was a little while ago whenever I read it, but I remember you saying something along the lines of the idea of meditating in the morning so that you can sleep better in the evening. And of course, I wasn't tapped into all this, right? So I read that and I was like, huh? Like, you know, I didn't really understand it back then. Talk to my listeners who might be feeling the same way. Working out in the morning is going to help me sleep better, keep me in a more anabolic state. Also, meditation, as you sure. mentioned in the book, and sleeping better. How does that morning routine connect hours later with a nighttime, uh, you know, state of the body? Perfect, perfect. The big takeaway key words here is biological rhythms. And that is everything to your life and to our existence here on the planet. As crazy as it sounds, we're actually a part of nature. And so your body is constantly trying to be in sync with the dernal patterns of what's happening on the planet. And with that said, so isn't that fascinating? You know, like what if we can package up ideas like that, that are clinically proven and give those to people like, hey, get at least five minutes exercise in in the morning. That's going to help to improve your sleep quality. It's right. such, that's why it was a mandate for me to put the book together with a bunch of strategies like that. Again, all clinically proven, backed by sound science, but it really goes back to how we're designed. You know, we're, we have this innate intelligence. Humans evolved. We're not nocturnal creatures. We do not function very well in pitch black. The lion can see you, but you can't see it. All right. So that <laughs> reverses the whole thing of like, you're the top organism on the planet. It's during the daytime. Our senses are really set up for that, you know, and that's where we've evolved like this when we do our hunting and gathering, our teaching, our sharing of, of stories and play and things like that, uh, really integrating and building society until we had the invention of light, you know, and the light bulb. And we did have fire for a long, long time. Right. But again, that was more of kind of a safety mechanism, something we use for food, something we use for 
uh, gatherings, sharing stories in the evening, but people are not generally out running around in the darkness through our evolution with, you know, trying to carry a torch. That's not how it worked. So with that said, with things changing with our biological rhythms and understanding how we're set up that way, our cortisol, it's called a cortisol rhythm, is supposed to be naturally elevated first thing in the morning because we evolved that way because cortisol helps you to get up and get going and to get active. And that's not a bad thing. Cortisol is not a bad guy. It's just when it's produced in the wrong amounts and at the wrong time. Now, if you look at a normal cortisol rhythm, and I have a chart for this in the book, or you can just go to Dr. Google and look one up, but your cortisol spikes in the morning between around 6 and 8 a.m., then it gradually declines and bottoms out in the evening. Clinically, we would call people who had these chronic sleep issues, when we look at their cortisol rhythm, as tired and wired. And their cortisol would be flipped, so it would be too low in the morning where they had an incredibly difficult time healing themselves out of bed. And in the evening, they just feel like they're wide awake because their cortisol is too high. And so employing some of the strategies that we have in the book, not everybody had to do everything, just small things, we're able to reverse that and get their cortisol back on track. So that's one of the reasons exercise is so valuable, is it resets that cortisol rhythm by getting a a cortisol spike and kind of putting it back on track. With meditation, uh, and this is a big headline as well to take away from today is, a great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning, right? A great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning right? because of the biological rhythms. So the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, very prestigious, looked at uh, several studies on meditation. And one of them found that just a short, med- and this was, I believe it was eight weeks. It was an eight-week meditation program, helped them improve every single marker of sleep and sleep quality for people with insomnia, all right? And this was doing meditation in the morning. And there are many forms of meditation. There's mindfulness meditation, there's breathing meditations, there's uh, guided meditations. There's all kinds of different things that you can employ. There's apps for meditation today. But the important part is just taking advantage of it. And so what it does is it really helps to kind of reset and help you to modulate between your parasympathetic nervous system, which is this kind of quote, fight or flight nervous system, and immediately activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So you have the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight. Parasympathetic is known as the quote, rest and digest system. And you can immediately turn that on and basically soothe the body and um, by employing some meditation or just simple breathing exercises. So it's really that simple. Yeah, great advice. And while you mentioned breathing, that's one of the points that I wanted to make sure we tackled today. I'm glad you just mentioned it. Why don't we just dive in there? I had Mark Devine on the podcast yesterday, and you know, much of his talk with me was around breathing. But he's convinced that breath work, and it really is work because as crazy as it sounds, you have to train yourself to breathe properly. You know, breathe from the gut, not shallow breathing as most of us do. But it helps you so much in the area of mental clarity, rest, stress control, all these sort of things. Tell me about, Sean, what you've learned about breathing. I haven't heard a lot from you on this out there, and I'd love to dig into your mind on that. And really how our lack of breathing or learning how to breathe properly, spending time training ourselves on that is keeping us from reaching our higher, you know, maximum potential each day. Sure. You know, funny thing, I just talked with Mark, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was on his show. And just hearing him bring up the fact that breathing mattered so much was so refreshing to me, you know, especially coming from, you know, he's a Navy SEAL and all that good stuff. And he would share with me some of the stories that they were seeing with the SEALs in training and how, you know, these big, strong guys ended up with testosterone levels at the place of like uh, young elementary school girls. 
it was like dropping right. so radically and so hard. And a big component was obviously the sleep deprivation. That was a big thing. And so they've addressed that and adding in more strategies for people getting effective sleep. That was one part. Plus being able to modulate your nervous system. And so the breathing really kicks in here. And so for me, it's a very simple principle. Our breathing is part of our autonomic nervous system. And so what does that mean? This is a system that works by itself. Just like your heart beating, your digestion, it's an automatic thing you don't have to think about. Now that we're talking about it, though, you're probably thinking about it. And you're probably yeah. changing it just <laughs> thinking about it, right? Yeah, we talked about that. I, he was talking about breathing, and both of us, we laughed because both of us, we were picking up in our mics on the spikes and stuff, much heavier breathing the entire time we were thinking about it. That is what separates this from everything else, is that it's part of your autonomic nervous system, but it's something that you can jump in and grab the steering wheel on immediately. Why would our design allow for us to do that? We can't jump in and digest our food. And we don't want that kind of responsibility. So why can we do this with our breathing? And it's a very simple principle. Our perception can fool us, right? So we can perceive danger and get into a heightened state of danger, you know, a heightened state of awareness, a heightened state of activity where we activate this fight or flight system for no reason. And if you're doing that over the course of, you know, like a consistent basis, you can literally kill yourself. You can yeah. burn yourself out, destroy your internal organs, destroy your nervous system, your endocrine system by this kind of chronic stress that might not even be real. And so, and just to give like an example, this is like a soft example, but you know, if you've ever been walking along, maybe you're walking in a park and you see a snake, but it's actually just a stick. You know, like you get scared of something that's not really even what you thought it was. And, but then you take that out a little bit further today. Now we have, and this is what's so amazing about us, but also potentially a problem is our, the human mind is so expansive. So we can think about and manufacture all of these problems that aren't even real. Like 99.9 .9 of the stuff that we're worried about never happens. Absolutely. Right. And so if we allow those things to dominate us, we immediately, the breathing becomes more shallow, right? And so we start to increase our stress hormone production, namely cortisol and adrenaline, noradrenaline, things like that. But also it suppresses these anabolic beneficial hormones like DHEA, like melatonin, and all these beneficial neurotransmitters like serotonin, for example. We suppress those things. And we're putting our body in a state of catabolism and breaking ourselves down really quickly. Life, our natural design has allowed us to jump in, grab the steering wheel, and we could instantly change that ratio simply by breathing deeper. It's amazing. Right? So we get to jump in and change what's happening with our hormonal cascade, our, our neurotransmitter cascade. And it's this gift that we've been given to be able to control that. But we don't know what we don't know. If you're not aware of this, you might go your entire life just feeling like something is off, like you're just, you know, feeling this anxiety or feeling this sense of stress, you know, for months at a time, weeks at a time, years at a time, and barely catching a break. But only if you just simply, as crazy as it sounds, learn how to breathe. <laughs> we don't have to teach. Babies do this automatically, but it's because the world around us, you know, it's a natural response when we're stressed, when we feel like things are against us to withdraw in our breathing. And if we do that habitually, it can really hurt us. And the cure, you know, the real quick change for that is simply being able to do uh, some deep breathing. Man, that is so cool. I've uh, studied breathing for quite a while now and just trying to get better about being mindful of it. But that's probably the biggest takeaway for me personally 
is what you mentioned. We can't really control our digestion. We can't control, I mean, there's certain things even in our thoughts and our brain that you would argue we can't control our nervous system whenever it's firing and doing different things. And man, that is so amazing. We are designed to be able to grab the steering wheel of the breath. As, and the more I learn about it and more I learn how important that is, really is one of the keys to, you know, the long play. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, is learning how to breathe. And you talk to so many guys, or I have, about breathing and even stretching, right? Yoga, things like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll try that. You know, it's like it's so mm -hmm. dismissed as this like phony or like, you know, yoga, especially like, oh, that's for women. And, you yeah. know, we, some of the baddest dudes I know out there don't want to miss yoga sessions. You talked about grabbing the steering wheel on that. And I mentioned there's a lot of things obviously we can't control, but that's one of them. That's really cool. How about fasting? I haven't heard you talk a lot. Maybe lately, I'm sure you talked a lot about it, but I haven't heard it about fasting. And even if you're not, you know, one of these hardcore fasting guys where you're constantly trying to get in a state of ketosis or getting to that level, are you a fan of doing some form of fasting as far as the benefits? And do you incorporate some sort of a regular fasting routine as, again, grabbing that steering wheel and really controlling what you can control? Wow. Great, great question. One of the things that has made my show, I believe in my heart that this is one of the reasons is that just sharing things that I've actually had a, a deep experience with, you know, and I've done probably 30 different kind of structured fasts over the years, you know, whether it's like a 21 day juice fast or, you know, a two to three day water fast or uh, intermittent fasting for a year. You know, like I get in and I actually see what this stuff does. And some things have not ended pretty, you know, like I've, <laughs> I've definitely had some problems happen along the way, but I've gained a very right. comprehensive understanding. And so I'm absolutely a fan of intelligent fasting and more, more specifically intermittent fasting and not for everybody and not for all the time. Right. But this can be something that's very simple that pretty much we all kind of set up a, a process for in our lives one of the big reasons for that, number one, that jumps to mind is brain-derived neurotropic factor, right? Brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDNF. Right, and right. this is something that gets produced in your body after a very short stint of fasting. And it's what it is. Number one, it's neuroprotective, right? So this helps to protect your brain and your brain cells. And deficiencies on these things are seen correlated with Alzheimer's dementia, right? So we can keep our brains younger and healthier longer when we allow our body to produce more of this compound. And there are many other things that we can dive in and talk about, but I want to go back and actually break down. So what does this look like? Well, an intermittent fast can simply be, you know, you, you're finished eating dinner at 7 p.m. and you don't eat again till the next day at 7 a.m. in the morning. That's a 12 hour fast, right? You're going to get a nice spike in brain derived neurotropic factor after maybe even nine or 10 hours of fasting, right? So sleep cuts out a big chunk of that. And that's something a lot of people can add in as long as you're not like sleeping with an IV hooked up to like a banana juice or something. It's just <laughs> keep pumping, pumping uh, glucose into your body. So you're going to get that benefit. Also, there is an intrinsic shift in your body's energy expenditure to detoxification and elimination. So, so many of us are, we're, we just, constantly consuming breakfast is pushing lunch is pushing dinner breakfast is pushing lunch is pushing dinner is pushing breakfast is pushing lunch pushing dinner and your system never really gets a chance to do some deeper uh house cleaning you know whether it's for your liver whether it's for your kidneys because it's constantly processing and so 
And this is a big kind of aha moment for everybody as well. Every single day of your life, the majority of energy your body uses is to digest the food you eat. All right. So all the energy that we want to have to crush it in our lives and accomplish our goals, to spend time with our kids and to do all this stuff and have energy to do it. Most of it's used to, to turn food into you. It's a right. very expensive process. Like that pizza becomes like your nipple or something like that. All right. So when you're right, looking right. at a food, it's actually going to become a part of you. I don't know. I guess maybe it's the pepperoni I was picturing. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, man, next time I have a pizza, I hope that doesn't stick in my mind like something's here on my brain. So this is really important for us to understand that we have to be more aware of the fact that this is an expensive process and we want to eat foods that really jive with our system so that we are assimilating better, but also give our body time so that it can be free of that process to use energy for other things, right? So that's another big reason. And this is why, you know, uh, fasting has been a part of certain anti-cancer protocols, right? Because your body, right. your immune system, macrophages, things like that, using energy to try to break down cancer cells is constantly being siphoned to digest like all of these triple cheeseburgers or whatever the case might be. You know, so this is why changes and things like that can be so beneficial for people struggling with conditions like that. And we, you know, we've done shows dedicated to that topic specifically, which we won't get in here today because it's such a big, big topic, but there's a lot of incredible data, clinical research out there for treatments like that, that involve things like fasting. And so that's why I employ it on a pretty consistent basis. So for me, I might be done eating again, 7.30 and I probably won't the first thing that I usually have every day is going to be some kind of a uh, an elixir, right? Like I love these uh, medicinal mushroom teas and things. Again, have been yeah. used for thousands of years. Not magic mushrooms, right? Medicinal sure. mushrooms uh, with some healthy fats, and uh, I'll generally have that around seven thirty. So it's probably around you know eleven or twelve hour fast for me for most days, but. When I was doing the intermittent fasting experiment, I wouldn't eat anything until maybe around 10 o'clock and I wouldn't even have the, um, my elixir either. Right. So, you know, and that was, it was tough in the beginning, but then my body got adjusted to it, but I found that I lost a lot of weight. That's another big key here. Last thing I'll mention is the weight loss can be exceptional for people, like really, really exceptional, mainly for men though. I have to point that out for women. Right. This right. is something where it's a case to case basis because your body and your hormones are operating differently, but women can achieve a really nice change in their body composition, weight loss by employing some of the principles of intermittent fasting, but not as stringent. Yeah. Boy, my wife hates it whenever I tell her I'm going to, you know, shred up for a, a trip. You know, we're going to the Bahamas this next week and mm. she just rolls her eyes because she's like, yeah, okay, just don't, you know, go fast or whatever. And you'll just drop pounds and, you know, there's no way I can do that. So they hate it whenever, you know, we bring stuff up like that as guys, because we do. It tends to work a little bit better for us. But uh, Sean, thanks so much for your time here today. I mean, one of the things I knew I would be frustrated by is by the time we got to the end of this thing, it'd just still be, you know, so many things I'd love to pick your brain on, but we can only have so much time in a podcast. Where can we steer more listeners your way? I just want to get a big emphasis on people going and, and downloading your knowledge because you put out so much great stuff. And people who know me, they know I test everything, kind of like the scientist in you. If I'm saying it, I've probably researched it a lot. You better take it to the bank. And uh, guys listening in out there, you got to go tune in. Number one health podcast on iTunes. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I don't know if you ever saw that coming or if you've just been blown away by the success it's had. But the Model Health Show, Sean Stevenson, 
It's just had a tremendous impact on people out there. And I just want to point all of our listeners over there to your uh, show and to your book, Sleep Smarter, because it just had such a big impact on me during a time where a lot of this stuff we're talking about today was really taking a huge and had been taking a toll on my system for a while, but you don't see it right at first. Yeah. And you've been awesome in, in your help with that. And that's why I wanted to get you on. Oh, man, it's totally my pleasure. And that means everything to me. And I definitely, you know, I, I felt that the Model Health Show was going to help a lot of people. I just, I really didn't, I, my vision was kind of small. It was too small at the time. I had no idea just how big it would get. And it's because people are looking for what's real, you know, and also, you know, I love that statement that, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and imbuing care and real dedication into the work to be of service, you know? And so that's what we really package into the show. And every single episode is a masterclass on the subject matter. So whether we're talking about water and hydration, whether we're talking about reversing type two diabetes, whether we're talking about intermittent fasting, cryotherapy, you know, fat loss, we've got some incredible mind-blowing shows on fat loss that, you know, I've get messages, people lose 75 pounds, a hundred pounds, or, you know, basic, you know, lowering their body fat to that magic number they're trying to get, but without all the drama, right? I, right, I don't, right. I feel that suffering does not equal health, you know, right. like those two things do not go together for me. And so uh, that's really why we do what we do. And so, like you said, anywhere that people are listening to this amazing podcast that you've put together, they could find the Model Health Show there as well, or they could check us out online at themodelhealthshow.com. I think you've just been so successful because of all the energy that Jade brings to the show. That's probably <laughs> what it is, right? <laughs> That's the secret sauce, I guess. Right. Well, man, thanks so much for your time here and much, much, much uh, success. Uh, we wish your way as this thing continues and who knows where you're going to go with it, but just continue to do what you're doing. And what an awesome thing for podcasts, you know, nowadays, just, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are not doing you know, the favor of helping a ton of people. So what you do really sets apart um, and, and what I'm aiming to do on this show really sets us apart from other people that uh, people can take a lot away from it. So mm. thanks so much for your time. Guys, go check out the book. I'll link everything up in show notes. And uh, thanks so much, Sean Stevenson. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Guys, as I mentioned, I enjoyed having my good friend Sean Stevenson on the Success 101 podcast and hope you took a ton away from his episode about how we can be more well-rounded and more educated about our health, biohacking issues, and how to just feel better on our route to peak performance. If you would like to connect with my team and I, the best way to do that is by email on info at success101podcast.com or in the world of social media on the Success 101 Facebook page or on Instagram under the name at success101podcast. I had a great time in this episode with Sean, and I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode of the Success 101 podcast. Until then.